Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 through Genesis 2, verse number 3 is the passage that we'll be looking at this evening. And we're looking at the thought of the completion of creation. And so we kind of go uh, from the completion of creation through the establishment of the Sabbath day. And so that's kind of what we'll be looking at this evening. And then next week we'll be moving on into chapter 2. And chapter number 2 is uh, kind of more detail about the summary that we have in chapter number 1. So we're going to be looking at that over the past next couple of weeks. But tonight we're going to consider the completion of creation. And over the past several weeks we've considered many aspects concerning the creation and, and we've established many truths concerning the work that God did when He spoke everything into existence. And boy, I'm telling you, it may be hard for us to comprehend how a supreme being could speak everything into existence. It, it is very difficult. I, I don't believe that our minds are capable of completely comprehending how that works. But it's so much easier to believe than the opposing argument. It's so much easier to put your faith in. As a matter of fact, creation speaks to it. Creation witnesses to the fact, all the, all the details and all the minute uh, characteristics and all the things that come together clearly say there has to be an intelligent creator. There has to be a supreme being. And I think as we've went through the creation account, and there's so much more that we could go through, I feel bad about how long we've spent in it already, but there's so much more that we could look at at the creation account that just shows the proof of what God has done. I think I told you that Joel, my son, told me after we'd been in the creation for two or three weeks, he's like, Dad, there's just too much here to cover in a Bible study. You need to build a museum about this, which is exactly what the folks did in Kentucky. They built a museum about it. But uh, we've established, you know, a lot of things about the fact that God did speak this world into an existence. As we come to the last verse in chapter 1, the first three verses of chapter 2, though, we see that God finalizes that which He had begun. And boy, there's so much right here in these verses. I hope I can share it with you this evening. In completing the work that God started, God established some governing principles for the ongoing process of sustaining the earth and its inhabitants. And so we're just going to take a few minutes and look at these things this evening. Brother Greg, can you cut me down just a little bit? I'm echoing and I keep distracting myself. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. That might be because I'm sitting right underneath the speaker. I keep hearing myself. But anyway, uh, so we're going to read Genesis chapter number 1, verse 31, down through verse number 3 of chapter 2. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Let's pray and we'll get right into this lesson. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless us now as we look at this completion of creation. And Lord, how that you finished what you started. And Lord, I pray as we look at this that, Lord, we will learn truths, uh, Lord, that apply to not only the creation story, but, Lord, we'll see how they apply to who you are and how you operate and what it means to us. And, Father, we thank you for it. Bless us now throughout this evening. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The first thing I see here in this passage as we start into this passage of Scripture is a finished work. It said there in verse 31 and verse number 1, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Then it says in verse number 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. There's two things uh, uh, that I see here about this finished work. First, I see that the work is considered. God considers what he had done, and God saw everything that he had made. This verse completely and finally eradicates uh, one more time any effort that man might make to consolidate uh, millions of years with the creation. As we went through creation, we looked at how uh, there were two main theories uh, where people tried to consolidate millions of years on the fossil record with creation. One of the theories is the gap theory, wherein they uh, say that there are thousands of years, millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2 and that the creation account that we read of is a recreation that the first creation failed. And so they say this is why we have the fossil record, this is why the earth is millions of years old, is because there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And I don't, I don't mean to be mean by saying this, but honestly my opinion is the people who believe that the only gap is between their ears because, I mean, this just don't fit in the Word of God. But there is the gap theory that tries to reconcile millions of years with creation by putting it there. And then there's the day-age theory that we also looked at. And in the day-age theory, they say, yes, it was six days, but each day was millions of years old. And so therefore, that's how the earth is millions of years old, and that's how we have the fossil record. And of course, as we looked at that, we gave proofs and reasons why the gap theory didn't hold true, why the day-age theory didn't hold true. But when we come to verse number 31 of chapter 1, it eradicates any possibility of either of those theories ever being true. And you say, well, how does it do that? Well, it says there in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, whenever you look at the fossil record, the fossil record is full of bones and decay and death and pain and suffering. You look at the fossil record and you can see that there were creation, creatures that died a, a terrible death. They, uh, something happened. Now you and I understand, and we'll look at this more when we get to the flood, but we understand that this fossil record came from the flood. And the flood does a much better job of explaining the fossil record than millions of years do. Uh, but you can look at the fossils and you're like, wow, here is a skeleton. Here, is, here are animals that were piled up in a pile and they died altogether. It's, the fossil record is full of death and pain and suffering. And if the gap theory is true, or if the day-age theory is true, then when we come to verse number 31, those things had already occurred, which means that the earth would have been filled with the remnants of pain, death, and suffering. Yet when God looked at the creation, he said, behold, it is very good. When God looked at the creation, he did not see anything that would say to him that there is any remnant of death or pain or suffering. There was nothing in it that would speak of corruption. When God looked at his creation, there was no deterioration. When God looked back at all that he had done, it was complete, it was perfect, it was flawless, and he said, 
it is very good. Uh, it, it, crowning the, the creation was a crowning example of his ability. It was a picture of his endless power and his capability. Whenever I think about the creation, and I know that I've went on about a lot of different elements of it, so I'll try not to go on too long tonight, but whenever you think about the creation, it is a demonstration of the endlessness of God's power. We look at the solar system and we can't find the end of it. We look at the atom, and although we can't even see the atom, we understand the atom and how it works, and there's enough power in that tiny atom to destroy an entire island. And you look at how much power and how much infinite infinite uh, expanse is in all that God created, and it's like the creation is just a demonstration. It is a picture of the endless ability of our God. I'm telling you, you look at the creation and it is just a perfect example for mankind to look at and get a grasp of who God is and what He's capable of. Uh, But whenever God looked at the earth, the work was finished. And it had been finished very well. The skill of the craftsman was evident. It was obvious uh, that whoever had done this uh, knew what they were doing uh, and they had done it uh, very well. Uh, You've probably seen folks before who would see a picture of something or or they would see a a, a craft or they would see a project that someone had done and they say, I'm going to do that myself. And they go home and they try to do it and when they're done... Theirs just don't look anything like the picture, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe they did build a doghouse too, but their doghouse just does not match the doghouse in the picture. And I, I see Miss Sheila and Miss Bonnie laughing at each other over here. I imagine you look at cake decorating, you see a picture, and you're like, well, I could make a Smurf cake too, and it just don't look like a Smurf when you're done or whatever it is. You see, whenever God created the create, whenever God finished the creation, the the mark of a skilled craftsman was easy to be seen. It was obvious that this had been done by someone who knew what he was doing and nothing had entered at this point to mar the handiwork of God. This verse also is how we know uh, that the devil had not fallen at this point. Now, we do know that the devil was an angel. He was a created being. Uh, He was part of the creation. A lot of the details about when the angels were created isn't given to us, but we know that they were created. Uh, Many people accredit uh, the words and uh, the host of heaven uh, to being the angelic beings. We don't know if that's so or not. Uh, But we know that the angels were created. And at the end of the six days, God looked at everything he had made. And behold... It was very good. And so we know from that verse that the devil fell somewhere between verse number 31 of chapter 1 and verse number 1 of chapter 3. Somewhere in there, and the Bible doesn't tell us how much time passed uh, there, but we do know that somewhere in that window is when the devil fell. There are a couple theories. I'll just throw them out since we're talking about it. Uh, One is that he had to fall uh, within nine months because Adam and Eve didn't have any children yet. Another theory is that in Old Testament times, people didn't start bearing children until they were close to 100 years old. And so it 
several years could have went by. And so the Bible does not give us a time frame. If any of you have dug in deeper and, and you're like, well, Pastor John, actually it does, please let me know because as far as I know, the Bible doesn't give us a time frame as how much time passed from the completion of creation until Satan tempted Adam and Eve, but we know that it did, he did fall somewhere in that window. When Christ looked at, or when God looked at the earth, it was a masterpiece. Uh, it was set on its axis. It was set to spin uh, throughout space as a testament of the greatness of the Creator. When God looked back at all that He had done on the sixth day, He considered all that He had made and He described it all as very good. But when, secondly, when I consider creation, uh, not only do we see that God considered His work, but we see that the work is completed. It said, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. When we look at this here, this verse, this last verse and the first few verses of chapter 2, we see that God finalized what he had, be had begun. The heavens and the earth were finished. Contrary to the teaching of evolutionists, things aren't still developing. Evolutionists like to teach, as we saw on the video last week, they said, well, we can't uh, show you evolution because we don't have millions and billions of years to let you observe it. Well, I have news for them. The reason you can't observe it is because nothing is being created. Nothing is developing. Nothing is evolving. God created everything in six days, and at the end of six days, it was finished. It was done. Now, we do know that animal species, plant species, uh, have continued to develop. I, I loved the video whenever they uh, showed the birds that had changed their beaks, and he's like, but they're still birds, right? And the, the bacteria had changed, its, uh, you know, but it's still bacteria, so forth and so on. And so things have developed. Uh, I, I mean, folks are still uh, d combining dog breeds and coming up with more dog breeds, and I'm like, y'all know they're mutts, right? $3,000 for a mutt, you know that, right? But people are still, you know, trying to combine breeds and come up with new breeds and better breeds and so forth and so on. And so there is species developing within themselves. But as far as the scope of creation, it was finished on the sixth day and it, nothing will ever be added to it. It is finished. It is done. Uh, the, the reason... That creation is complete. The reason that it was finished at the end of six days is because recreation is not the result of chance or the outcome of an explosion or the result of something developing over millions of years, but the creation was able to be finished on the sixth day because it was the purposeful, intentional, and catch this word, miraculous work of a creator. And outside of the miraculous power of God, nothing else will ever be created because it was a, a miracle. The creation was the miracle. I don't know if you remember uh, whenever we started the series on the miracles of the Old Testament, the first miracle that we looked at was the miracle of creation. Creation is a miracle. It is unexplainable. That's why when man tries to explain it, his explanations are so ridiculous. Because it can't be explained, it is a miracle that was accomplished at the hand of an almighty God. In verse 31 of chapter 1, the work of creation is finished, it is completed, it is finalized. When we come to this verse, there is nothing left undone, there is nothing that needed added, altered, or improved. It was complete. And you buy this furniture online and you get it to your house and you open the box 
And used to be we were guilty of throwing the instructions away. They don't come with instructions anymore. I mean, you have this paper with a sketch picture on it written in a different language. The instructions are no good to you. And so you put this thing together, and when you're done, you have a few extra screws left over, and, and you look at it, and you shake it, and it's just a little wobbly, and you're like, mm, it'll do. But it's not perfect. There are some things that are un left undone. There are some things that could be improved. When God finished the creation, there was nothing unfinished. There was nothing that needed added. There was nothing that could be improved. It was complete. And so we see, when we look at this, the first thing that we see uh, is a finished work. But the second thing that we see in this passage is a satisfied creator. So we see a finished work, but then we see a satisfied creator. And we can see his satisfaction in a couple of ways uh, here in chapter number 2. First of all, we see that he is satisfied because the work is ended. The work is ended. It says in verse number 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And you say, well, isn't this the same thing that we've been talking about, uh, that it was finished? Kind of, but there's yet another angle to consider. In verse 1, or, or excuse me, verse 31, the Bible states that the work was finished. But here in verse 2, the Bible tells us that God ended his work. In other words, God did everything he had set out to do. He put together a plan, he completed the plan, and he was satisfied with the plan. He stopped working on it. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I am very bad, particularly with sermons. I'm very bad about putting a sermon together and being finished with it and then getting it back out and going over it and changing some things and putting it away. Then getting it back out and going over it and changing some things. And then getting it back out and going over it and changing some things. And then finally Melissa's like, we got to go, honey. We're going to be late for church. And I'm like, okay, well, this has got to do. This is, you know. But I keep tinkering with it and I keep messing with it because I know that it can be improved. I know that there's got to be things I can change. There's got to be ways I can make it better. And so although three or four times ago it was finished, I've not ended the work. I'm still going over it and going over it and going over it and going over it. I remember uh, once um, I hadn't been assistant pastor very long and uh, Pastor Wright was just getting to know me and uh, I, it was a Wednesday night and I was going to be preaching and uh, he came and walked through the uh, old fellowship hall and I had, my office was down there and I was just writing up a storm. I mean, I was writing and writing and he stopped at my door and he's like, are you ready for tonight? And I'm like, yeah, I've been ready all week, but I'm just tweaking a couple things in this sermon. I just thought of a better way to say this. I'm changing the way I'm going to say that tonight. Uh, although it was finished, I hadn't ended the work because inside myself, I felt like it could still be improved. Whenever we look at verse number 31, it says the work was finished. When we look at verse number 2, it says, and God ended the work. It didn't need any more tinkering. It didn't need any more tweaking. It didn't need any more uh, fine-tuning. It was exactly what he wanted it to be. It was exactly the plan he had made. It was finished exactly like he planned for it to be finished. He put everything in order. He set it in motion, and then he stepped back and let it be. He ended his work. He was completely finished with it. So when there are those that try to say, that God didn't do this right or God uh, could have done this differently or God could have done that better. No, no, no. Any flaws that you see in creation are a result of man's sin. When God finished the creation, there was nothing 
else that needed to be done. It was absolutely perfect. God ended his work. He was satisfied. There was nothing else that he wanted to change. It was everything he had wanted it to be. And when he stated that he ended his work, he sent the message to you and I that this was a perfect work and he had done his job well. And as we go through this, and I, I'm afraid I'm not going to do a good job of tying this together, just remember that whenever God does a work, he does it completely, he does it well, and there's nothing that can be added to it. And we look at this picture of creation as a work that God done, and when he was finished with it, there was nothing that could be added to it. And when we get to the end of the lesson, we're going to be comparing this to the work that he did on Calvary. And when he finished that work, there was nothing else that needed to be added to it. When God does a work, he does it well. And so even right here in the second chapter of Genesis in the first verse, he is sending us the message that when he does a work, he does it completely, he does it perfectly, and he does it well. And so we see that he's satisfied in that the work is ended, uh, but we also see his satisfaction in the fact that he rested. So if you look at the, the rest of verse number 2 there, you will see that the rest is enjoyed. The rest is enjoyed. You know, sometimes there's two types of rest. There's two types of rest. So you can be doing a good, hard, physical work, and maybe you're trying to meet a deadline, and you're pushing, and you're pushing, and you're pushing, and finally your body just will not go on. And you look at your coworker, and you're like, I'm sorry, but I have got to sit down for a minute. And you sit down, and you get you a little sip of water, and you're, just, and you're just trying to get your strength back together so you can go straight back into the project. That's one type of rest. Another type of rest is when you finish that project, whatever it is, something you want to do, that cake that you were trying to make, and you get it done and you look at it and you're like, it's perfect. And you just, you just look at it and you're just like, it's so awesome. It's so perfect. You don't work on it anymore. You're not stressing over it anymore. You're not putting any labor into it. Your mental capacity relaxes. Your physical capacity relaxes because the job is done and you're happy with it. We've all experienced both of those types of rest. One type of rest is rewarding and enjoyable. The other type of rest is just grabbing our breath so we can keep on with the rat race. We see here that this rest that God took was an enjoyable rest. Uh, he, this rest speaks uh, of his satisfaction with the project. We know that he didn't rest because he was tired. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God... The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. We know that he didn't rest because he was physically tired. We know that he didn't rest because he just didn't have any strength to do anything else. No, this wasn't a rest in that he was trying to uh, refresh himself or be rejuvenated so that he continue working. No, the Bible tells us that he doesn't get weary. He doesn't become tired. So that's not why he rested. No, this was a rest of satisfaction a rest, uh, enjoying a job well done. We know that not only did he not rest because he wasn't physically tired, he didn't rest uh, because he was mentally tired either. Uh, the creation only scratched the surface. 
of his capability. I mean, whenever, if you remember back when we watched the video about the solar system, uh, you can't even see earth. We lose sight of it in the expanse of the solar system, and he made all of that. This just scratched the surface of what he's capable to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalm 147 and verse number 5, Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. There's no end to his understanding, no end to what he can comprehend. No, he didn't sit down because he was mentally exhausted. I oftentimes have to take a break because I'm mentally exhausted. I'll tell a, tell a story on myself. Y'all like this. So the week that Brother Tim was here, I'm like, I'm going to use this week to my advantage, and I'm going to get several outlines ahead. Now, not whole sermons, but a lot of the work of a sermon is putting the outline together. To me, the outline is kind of like my roadmap through the Scriptures. It lets me know how I'm going to teach this passage of Scripture. So I said, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to get some outlines ahead so that whenever I come back to preaching, I'll have a lot of my work done in preparing my sermons. And so I did a couple of outlines in the book of Acts and I did, I think, three or four outlines in the book of Genesis. And just just outlines, just rough outlines to help get me started whenever it came time to prepare the message. Well, I got to church today got here this morning, and I knew the passage I was teaching from. I knew what I wanted to talk about tonight. I sat down at my desk, and I began to work on putting together an outline. And I worked till a little bit after lunch today getting an outline. And I'm like, you know, I just it's not fitting together right. It's not. And, I've, and I'm putting my outline together and working and working on it. And a little bit after lunch, I'm like, all right, this looks good. I can work with this. This will flow. And then I do a little bit of copying and pasting in my own notes. And so I went to pull up an old outline to copy the, uh, the, the heading at the beginning of my notes. I always put, you know, the subject and the text and so forth. So I was going to copy that and paste it in these notes. Well, when I pulled up the old outline, it was the outlines that I had prepared while Brother Tim was here. And I had tonight's lesson already outlined. It was right there, ready to go. And I'd spent all past lunchtime today trying to get an outline together that I, that I liked. And so I combined them. So if we go too long tonight, you'll understand. We've got two outlines tonight. But, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes my mental capacity is, is lacking. Uh, and even as I was putting it together, I was sitting there fussing at myself. I'm like, man, and I tried to get ahead while Brother Tim was here. And, man, that didn't last long, did it? And the whole time I had the outline right there waiting. So none of y'all are laughing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give y'all an assignment to prepare sermons. And after you've prepared a few sermons, then come back and I'll tell you the story again and you'll laugh. All right, you'll get it then. But uh, anyway, uh, we see here that he didn't rest because his mental capacity was exhausted uh, because uh, his understanding is infinite. Why did he rest? He rested to demonstrate his satisfaction. This is awesome. This is what I wanted. This is what I've got. This turned out perfectly. I love this. It's exactly what I wanted. And he was satisfied. He rested to illustrate that when the work is done fully and completely, there is no longer any need for labor. When the work is done fully and completely, you can enjoy the labor that has been completed. And so we see uh, that there was a finished work. There was a, there was a satisfied creator. But then in verse number 3, we see that there is a special day. He set apart the seventh day as a special day. 
And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now, we're going to take real quick and look at some things about this seventh day. Uh, we'll not be able to go into great detail about the Sabbath. A couple of years ago, I preached two Sunday morning messages about the Sabbath and our Sabbath rest in Christ, which I'll be talking about briefly tonight. Uh, but if you have questions about that or wish that I would go further, let me know. I'll be happy to give you the notes uh, from those messages a couple years ago that definitely go a lot more into depth than I'll be going tonight. But whenever we look at this, we see that God set aside a special day. And I want to look at three things about the setting aside of this seventh day. First, we see the blessing of the seventh day, the blessing. It says in verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day. No other day of creation, uh, not day one, day two, day three, five, six, none of the other days had been marked as blessed. But this seventh day was said to be a blessed day. Whenever we consider the word blessed, we understand uh, that it is meant that this day was intended to serve a specific purpose. Uh, in Genesis 1, verse number 22, we find that the fish and the birds were to fill the air and the seas. And God, uh, in talking of this specific purpose, said, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. In verse 28, we see that man was to have dominion and oversee the creation. And in verse 28 of chapter 1, it says, And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth uh, upon the earth. And so we see that whenever God said that he blessed the fish and the birds, it was to uh, identify their specific purpose. When he blessed man, it was to identify his specific purpose. And when he blessed the seventh day, it was to identify the specific purpose of this day. And what was that purpose? Well, I believe that this purpose of the seventh day was twofold. First, this day was blessed... Uh, in that it was to serve as a reminder and a time for reflection on our Creator. The seventh day was a constant reminder that an intelligent Creator had made everything that we see. It was set there to remind us and give us a time to reflect on our Creator. But then secondly, I believe that its purpose was to serve as an example of the spiritual rest that would be found in accepting Christ, which, as I said, the messages that I preached on, it's described in detail. It's in Hebrews 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse number 11. Uh, if you want to write that passage down, Hebrews 3, 7, through chapter 4, verse number 11, speaks specifically of the Sabbath rest that we find in Christ. And I think that setting aside this seventh day was uh, to serve as an example of the spiritual rest that we would one day receive in Christ. Next, not only was this day blessed, uh, but this day uh, we see also in verse number 3 was sanctified. Uh, it's, uh, it's, we see that in verse 3 it says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Now the word sanctified means to be set apart, to be intended uh, not only for a specific purpose, but for a special purpose. Now, the word Sabbath is not mentioned here in verse number 3, but we do know if we go to Exodus chapter number 20 where God has given Moses the Ten Commandments 
uh, in explaining the Sabbath, the Sabbath law in the Ten Commandments, he, uh, the Scripture refers back to this exact passage of Scripture. So although the word Sabbath is not mentioned here, when we combine it with Exodus chapter number 20, uh, we know that this is what is being spoken of here, uh, that this verse is the establishment of the Sabbath, the day of rest. God had finished His work and He set aside a day to commemorate this completion. And for centuries, the seventh day would stand as, as a reminder that God finished His work. And for centuries, it would stand as a testimony of the coming spiritual rest that He would give to all them that put their trust in Him. So when God sanctified this day, He sanctified this day to commemorate a finished work and also to be an example of a coming rest. And I'm, I'm fighting getting ahead of myself here, but just follow with me, all right? So we see here that this commemorates that a work was finished and that there was a rest coming. I also believe that this day was set apart or sanctified to establish the pattern of the seven-day week. And this just is a marvel to me. Maybe it isn't to you, but it's just a marvel to me. The sun, the moon, the seasons, uh, these things dictate days, months, and years. But there is not a natural time clock that identifies the week. Now, there are natural time clocks that identify days, months, and years. But there's no natural time clock to identify the week. The seven-day week was established by God at the end of creation. And every time we print a calendar, it is a testimony that there was an intelligent creator who said, all right, I'll give you a time clock for this one, this one, and this one. But this one is just going to be a testimony of me. And we still use the seven-day week. There is no natural indicator that demands we recognize the week. And yet we recognize it week in and week out. Why? Because God said so. And boy, I'll tell you what. It just, to me, it demonstrates that God has more control over man than man likes to admit that he does. God says, you're going to do this just because I said so. And we do a lot of things just because he says so, and there's a lot more things we should do just because he says so. So we see that this day was set apart to establish the pattern of the seven-day week. And then the third thing I see about this seventh day is the significance of this day, the significance of this day, and this is where I've been wanting to get all night. So, but I know I'm out of time too, so I'll hurry. Uh, the reason why this day was blessed by God and sanctified by God is explained in the last phrase of verse number three. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Why? Because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. This seventh day was a picture. It was an example. The seventh day was a prophecy right here in chapter number 2 before man had even sinned. It is a prophecy of things to come. When God completed His work in creation, He proclaimed, It is finished. And He followed that finished work with a season of rest. This is a prophecy of something that's coming. Centuries would go by before we would hear these words again. But several hundred years later, our Savior, God in flesh, was nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was beaten, He was scourged, He was mocked, He suffered, He bled, and just before He died, 
He said these words again, It is finished. All the way back at the beginning of time, he finished his work. He said there's nothing else that needs done. It's complete. It's final. It is finished. We can rest now. Centuries later, he hung on a tree and he said this work is complete, it's finished, it's final, it is finished. Now you can find rest. Leading up to this, all through the years, men had labored to keep the law. Men had labored to keep the sacrifices. Men had labored to meet all the requirements of the law. But Jesus said on Calvary, this work is finished. And from this day forward, if you will put your trust in me, no longer do you have to labor to keep the law. No longer do you have to labor to offer the sacrifices. No longer do you have to work and work and work. No, now you can rest in me. It is finished. In Genesis chapter number 2, God set forth a principle that says when God does a work and God does it well, man can rest. And then we see at creation that God did another work and he did it well. The work of God was complete. There was nothing else left to be done. There was nothing that could be improved. There was nothing that we can add to it or take away from it. God said, it's finished. And now we can enter into the Sabbath of rest. The seventh day was set aside from the beginning as a symbolic day of rest. But that symbolic day of rest was pointing to an eternal rest. The New Testament Sabbath is resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people, many people have confused the Sabbath and they think that Sunday is the new Sabbath, but no, that's not true at all. The Sabbath uh, uh, was a symbolic day. Sunday is a day of celebration. Sunday is a day that we set aside to recognize the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Sabbath is resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Up until Calvary, the seventh day was a day that reminded them that when God finishes a work, we can rest. But after Calvary, he had finished the work and now we rest. The Sabbath is now found in Christ. And like I said, if that's kind of blurry to you, we did preach two whole messages on that so we can pull them back out and answer any questions you might have on that. But the New Testament Sabbath is resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. From creation to Calvary, God has taught us that we can rest when His work is finished. And on Calvary, He finished the redemptive work. And because of that, we no longer observe a symbolic Sabbath, but now we enjoy a true Sabbath. Sunday I was preaching and I said, I can now lay my head at night and sleep. Let not your heart be troubled. I am enjoying a true Sabbath of rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so next week we're going to dive into the remainder of chapter number 2. And boy, there is much there uh, in the remainder of chapter number 2. God reviewing His work that He had done and giving us some more details. And then God establishing His law and also establishing the, the, the home and marriage and these things. And boy, I tell you what, there is a lot that we can see here in chapter Number two. Matter of fact, I was telling Brother Randy, I said, man, I, I, some of the things in chapter number two I might have to preach on Sunday morning. There's some good stuff in chapter number two. So I hope that you are looking forward to it.